One thing that really stood out to me as a favorable omen was that there were over 500 places to get a really good burrito in this place. And I just loved burritos ever since I was a kid and I didn't want to have to get another bad burrito. That was artist Brian Goggin. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, you'll hear from artists, comedians, photographers, and San Franciscans from all walks of life, telling stories, sharing personal histories, and trying to put into words what makes this city so special. Welcome to episode 48, part one. Brian grew up in Davis, but his parents brought him to San Francisco to take classes at the MoMA when he was a kid. Those early visits formed a lasting impression, and he moved to the city in the late 80s, where he's been making really incredible art ever since. Don't forget to stop by our Reimagine exhibit, Is San Francisco Dying? The show is up at the Laundry on 26th Street in the Mission, so check their website for hours. Here's Brian. The earthquake was interesting, though, seeing community come together around that. Um, but I was in my formative years in Davis, California. Um, my father was in politics in Sacramento, so he was commuting between um, Davis and his district, which was in Southern California. But I was lucky enough to have parents that were interested in encouraging things that their kids were interested in. And I was very interested in filmmaking and um, animation in particular and sculpting. And so my parents enrolled me in a uh, class in the 70s at the Museum of Modern Art here in San Francisco where I studied animation and sculpture and did a lot of animation where I, I sculpted things in clay and animated them. So um, I came to associate San Francisco with this creative, um, mysterious wonderland. It was like Oz, you know, for yeah, me as a kid. Absolutely. And you said your parents, um, versus the kind of parents who impose, you know, whether it's sports or what, whatever it is. I feel like it's all, almost always sports. But um, your parents just kind of let you blossom and, and let you figure out what your calling was. Something. Right. They were both academics, but they didn't push me to pursue knowledge in the same way. They let me explore it three-dimensionally and interactively. So how was Davis? That's, uh, that's not far from San Francisco. Not so far. I know. San Francisco is a big city. In, in Davis, well, I mean, there's Sacramento, but it wasn't so big. Right. Um, and You must have Davis visited a little was, bit when you were a kid here. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. there was a lot of macrame and tie-dye, and I remember there was a great patch store on Market Street. But uh, the thing I also remember was how colorful all the people dressed when I would come here and how uh, it felt like it was alive with young, enthusiastic energy. And later I found out, oh, yeah, well, it's all the hippies, you know, all these liberals, all these people coming from all over the world to to be part of a, a creative movement here. And I was, I was drawn to that as a kid without really fully understanding it. But 
one person I met through the museum program who was one of the teachers lived in a tree house here in San Francisco and he would tell us about what it was like living in a tree house and I thought man when I grow up I want to live in a place where adults live in tree houses wow that's awesome do you know where that tree house was I think it was in Noe Valley somewhere, but I never personally saw it. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Just that fact. So this all um, sounds like it, like uh, these uh, impressions you had of the city when you were a kid through the museum school and, and, and also just visiting were probably a pretty big contrast with what you saw in Davis. Not that Davis is the worst place in the world, but, but it wasn't what you were seeing here. Well, I, re- I remember when I would come into San Francisco, we would drive by the... Um, these sculptures that were made out of driftwood that were on the other side of the Bay Bridge, on the Oakland side of the Bay Bridge, and there were hundreds of temporary site-specific impromptu sculptures that were constructed by activists and artists. And that was completely different from uh, the the barren kind of, uh, or plain farming community that was at that time davis the thing that was nice about davis was that it was interconnected with a green belt so that people could ride their bikes especially kids almost anywhere in the town and still be surrounded by trees and grass but you didn't see hundreds of impromptu sculptures and and art come about you did have all these enthusiastic kids in the um, university system there who were teaching clay classes and they were into uh, new games where they would inflate enormous balls and 80 kids would push this ball that was the size of a house around on, um, on in a, a park and so there was creativity but it was almost like what was happening in Davis was an incubator but what was happening in San Francisco had something more mature to it and and I think that um, that and New York kind of courted me we used to live also in the East Coast in uh, West Point for a period of time and so we would also go to New York City but somehow um, since I was born in California I just I always felt more comfortable in California light and air and so I just really was more drawn to San Francisco I get you just um, quickly um, I'm from I'm from Texas and I my parents traveled a little bit and brought us out here a couple times and I came out here as a teenager as a, anyway I know exactly what you're talking about with light and air it's just different it's fresher it's brighter it's more I don't know it's something but I, I know exactly what you mean yeah when do, you're here in the mission we're we're in the mission in my studio and uh we get fresh air from the ocean blowing over Twin Peaks and you get the fresh air but then also the fog separates around Twin Peaks so we also get these um, nice patches of sunlight that come through here and it keeps it rather warm while the rest of the city gets quite cold but we still get the sense at least that we're almost on a ship that's moving through uh, the sea. I think about that analogy all the time. I do. I live at Masonic and Geary, and I'm like, I think I live on a ship. I live on a. And then I look up, and and then uh, uh, Sutro Tower is up there, and I'm like, 
tower that looks like a ship. It's it's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's, the mast. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, what age were you when you were coming to the MoMA? Um, let's see. That was about third grade. Okay, so that was early, early yeah. in life. Um, do you want to talk any more about um, your life before you moved here? Or? Well, um, let's see. Before I was in San Francisco, I was studying over in England at Cambridge University as a, a student abroad, and I ended up staying over there for um, two and a half years. And I was part of a museum program at one point and then part of the university system there, studying literature and painting. And, um, and then I came back to the United States and I was very interested in living in a place in the United States that also had the proportions of the environment that I was used to over in Cambridge and in London and uh, just the, the cultural dynamic of that university system was really exciting being around all those sharp people people that were interested in uh, disagreeing but but talking it through and finding um, interesting things to push their own development so I wanted to be in a place like that and I, f I had lived down in LA for a period of time and I just didn't feel that it was satisfying what I was looking for it was also too much time in in a car and I wanted to be able to walk somewhere so I I came to San Francisco with all these expectations and hopes kind of wrapped up in it but one thing that really stood out to me as a favorable omen was that there were over 500 places to get a really good burrito in this place and I just loved burritos ever since I was a kid and I didn't want to have to get another bad burrito and so I really <laughs> needed to come and I had enough bad burritos over in England where they would call tortillas tortillas I mean they didn't they call quesadillas quesadillas I wanted to come someplace where I could get a really decent quesadilla I'm surprised especially back in probably this is the 80s that they even tried over there yeah, you know, you'd get beans on toast or you'd get a quesadilla. <laughs> well, it was very new. Yeah, so you're like, get me back to burrito land. Yeah, I loved it over in England. I just couldn't stay. I wasn't a citizen. And so, yeah, so I came back and I've, I've been very happily here in San Francisco, although I've worked in other places. I've, um, I feel very much at home here. I heard Jack Hirschman talking the other day about how maybe it was at that event that you he was were there talking, for sure. And he he was saying how much he loved uh, being in San Francisco because it wasn't like being in America. And I take that in a positive way. You know, this this is the place where America meets the rest of the world. It's like the edge of it, and. And it has, at least up to the this point, a lot of eccentric people that have been drawn here, and there are all these great stories, and and often people that feel like they're visionary without the need to have necessarily huge financial rewards, but instead are satisfied with it as a life experience, right. and that there's this tribe of people that seem to come here generation after generation that are drawn here like it's a vocation. And it has some mysterious quality about it. Yeah, one of the things that we, um, and I guess it's a question, but um, that, that we've been talking about this season is what is it about this place? 
and that's like w- when I actually turn that around on myself, I'm like, it's really hard to put into words. It's it's not a it's not a word. It's not a sentence. It's it's like well, basically everything you just said, and it's it can be a little bit different for everyone, right? So so for you, it was it was kind of this magical draw, this magical pull. You can cite things like burritos and and the art and the eccentricity and the discourse and everything, but um, but it's also it's also mystery mysterious, right? Yeah, and it and it's possibly because it's ever changing, right? Don't you think? Where Absolutely. It's like uh, you don't know what's going to come in, and but uh, it's like we're in a really interesting tasting soup, but people keep adding things to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things are changing now, but the city's gone through booms and busts so many times. I mean, I. I remember reading during the gold rush that eggs were more expensive then than they are now. Right. So right. maybe inflation's really relative. Right. <laughs> okay. So uh, let's go back. It's 1988, and and you moved here. What, oh, how, you landed. What's what happened next? Well, I went to uh, San Francisco State for two years and I graduated from there okay. um, in literature and art where I continued what I was studying and um, and then I taught high school in a boarding school for a year in the Santinez Valley but I really wanted to come back to San Francisco and um, be a practicing artist I realized that I was I appreciated teaching I just felt like I wanted to focus on being an artist while I was young, and then I would teach later in my life. And so I transitioned, moved back to San Francisco, and I got a job um, driving an airport shuttle and got a studio across the street from where I am now. And every moment I wasn't driving that airport shuttle, I was in the studio working on um, art. And, uh, And then... Um, the shuttle company fortunately went uh, bust and I was able to go on unemployment and so that was like a uh, grant Mm -hmm. that I used to just focus on working on my art for it lasted about a year and a half wow and then I lined up an apprenticeship with an artist over in Europe and at the end of my unemployment I transitioned to working with him doing installations in Europe for a while. So was when you say art, um, well, I guess kind of two-part question, uh, was sculpture always sort of your medium? And then, and, and then you, you had mentioned literature and art. So did, the, did art win out over literature? Well, I don't or? think so. I think it kind of merged because the way that I developed my... I was trying to figure out how I was going to develop my artwork to try to fuse together my interests. Um, now, looking back at it, I can see what I was doing. At the time, I just thought my life was a mess. But um, but now I can see I was interested in bringing together literature, painting, and sculpture, and performance. Mm-hmm. And because I'd been doing all of these things when in, through university and before, where I would write plays and made a lot of films and these sorts of things. So I was interested in narrative and storytelling. uh, And I had studied painting, but not sculpture in college. 
And so when I got my studio, I found that I was more interested in building the stretcher bars than I was the paintings themselves. So I transitioned more towards constructions and building installations. Um, and then I went to work with a sculptor doing large scale installations over in Europe. And then he taught me how to put together proposals and he gave me a sounding board to give him sample projects like what if I did this and what if I did that and and then he would give me feedback and so by the time I came back to San Francisco after working as his apprentice for off and on for three years I started creating my own proposals for galleries and museums here in San Francisco to see if I could uh, make it work cool so um, still working uh, solo though right as a solo artist, not part of any group. Well, let's see. In the um, building where I was, uh, there were about 60 artists. The whole building was full of artists. A lot of them were punk musicians, Mm -hmm. and some of them were making messenger bags. Eric Zobag was over there. I don't know if you've talked to him. He would be a great interview if you can talk to him. Um, And this is the 90s? Yeah. Yeah the early 90s early 90s up through the um the late 90s got it um but but then that building was sold and now it's a tech office building but um it was really a hub of a lot of creative activity and excitement and you never knew what was going to happen there were painters and filmmakers and um radio producers i think that that environment really inspired me i was living the art life like david lynch talks about it you know it's just where you're pushing art and you don't really know why but you're just i was so drawn to it i was willing to sacrifice everything i wasn't i didn't care about material possessions i just wanted to become an artist that would enable me to be an artist the rest of my life i i didn't want to have to get a cubicle job i didn't want to be told what to do by some um boss like i wanted to see if that that would work and so the way i faced it was by training myself to be poor like training myself to have the a very minimal budget and be able to also find ways to be generous within that so i had people in the community who would take showers in in my space and we would share kitchen and so there was an interrelated cooperation. There were painters, Amy Franceschini. I don't know if you talked to her. She's future farmer, and she was there. She's won a Guggenheim uh, fellowship, and and uh, she was sharing our kitchen, taking showers in the studio, and we would all hang out and talk about art. And it was we had poets there. I think that everybody had their own angle and personality but we were all sacrificing and willing to be poor and um and not and we were rich in experience right communal is what i would call that right like communal art experience yeah. yeah and uh and encouraging and there was very little because we were the first generation in that space there was just no baggage there was no history there were no authority figures within the 
art group you guys telling were us writing, what to do. You were creating the experience. Yeah, it sounds like, and it's and it feels like San Francisco's like that for everybody that comes in here. They find their their the people they they connect with, like the um, the parakeets in Telegraph Hill. They find the parakeets that are their color and they hang out with them. I mean, they see a very different San Francisco than I see, but it's the same San Francisco. It's just different perspectives. And I'm sure it's like that for every single person in this place. I spend so much time on this block, my, and from the studio, uh, my, my view of what the city is is very much skewed by my own imagination and by these limited experiences. It's really important, I think, for us to all make ourselves go do a few things every week that we've never done before in the place where we live. And, that, and San Francisco is really exciting because I can always find things I've never done here. Yeah, I, I, that happens to me every once in a while. And I always love when it happens where I'm like, uh, if I'm in a car, or even on foot or on bike, or if, and I'm like, I've been here 20 years and I've never been in this exact spot. I didn't even know wherever it is. I'm, I didn't know it existed. And it's beautiful and it's it's that discovery that constant discovery i feel like of this place even though it is seven by seven so you know it's not a very big place no it's like a dark ride that where you just keep winding around and and you see different things and it can be a really small space but it can seem like it's a whole world that was artist brian goggin join us thursday when brian will dive into two of his more prominent works defenestration and caruso's dream music for the podcast is by otis mcdonald film photography is by michelle kilfeather you can find all our episodes on our website storiedsf.com while you're there please help support what we do by going to our store page and choosing from several different pledge levels follow us on facebook twitter and instagram and subscribe to our youtube channel if you're listening on apple podcasts please rate and review the show. And if you have any feedback for us, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>